And no, now Khabib no, jumps no, the no, fence. No, no, no. Whoa! No. no. And he's going right at Dylan Dennis. Mayhem. Oh, no. Total chaos here. It looks like UFC security has corralled Khabib Nurmagomedov. Oh! This is crazy. This is not something we're going to like, nothing we're going to condone. It's not something we want to promote. This is not professionalism, but it is the fight game to this an extent. Is, this is horrible. It can get nasty. It's, this it's is not, the nastiest I've ever seen. Yeah, this, this is, is not how you want it to be horrible. in this sport. This is not how we want to Khabib represent ourselves. jumping out of the octagon like that and attacking someone in the crowd. And I think... More, I mean, that is so stupid. And so unnecessary and so foolish after and, such a spectacular victory. And one of Khabib's teammates, I believe Zubair Tahugov, landed a right-hand flush on Conor McGregor in there. This is going to stain an incredible performance for Khabib Nurmagomedov and out of character for him, too. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our UFC 229 post show. I am John Pollock here at Post Office West alongside Ziggy Cow and our man, Phil. Hello. Who made it? I made it. I'm here. We were waiting all week. Me and Ziggy were like, we hope Phil can make it. I mean, what could be bigger than UFC 229? No, nothing really. I did have a bachelor party commitment, but I uh, managed to jump over the cage of that and take it out here. Oh, dear. So, uh, yeah, I was able to uh, enter the fracas that was uh, this event. Phil made it in time. Ziggy, uh, you made it here very early. You watched all of the prelims yes. with myself. Uh, you know, huge news. I mean, we could really kick things off with Tony Martin and Ryan LaFleur, but I think we will start from the top where we just watched uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov successfully defend the UFC lightweight title, submitting Conor McGregor, but that is probably not going to be the headline most people will go with on Sunday. Uh, this got really ugly afterwards. I would argue it could have gotten much worse. Yeah. It looked chaotic. There were several seconds where I think everyone was watching in great concern of how far this was going to go. Do you want to best describe this closing scene, Phil, that felt like it was right out of Monday Night Raw? Uh, sure. So Conor, uh, Habib uh, had been controlling most of the fight uh, with his takedowns. And then finally, in the fourth round, he was able to secure back control on Conor. And he was finishing with a rear naked choke that was mostly looked like a jaw crusher. Conor tapped. And then immediately, Habib got up. He, he kind of held the submission a little long. Then he got up, was yelling at Conor. Then he walked over to Connor's corner, was pointing at what uh, was described as Dylan Danis. He then jumped over the cage and charged at the corner and then got started throwing blows with Din Dylan Danis. And then he was pulled away from that. And then at the same time that that happened, what looked like three members of Khabib's team jumped over the cage jumped over the cage into the cage and attacked Connor, one of which was uh, completely blindsided. And it really did look like it was a frenzy for a few minutes there. Yeah, this was a clean shot that was landed on Connor McGregor, who's just been submitted in this fight. So he very much, you know, came across as, as the victim in this whole thing. I, I think that this, this fight has generated two of the, the ugliest, 
scenes in recent memory with the bus incident and now this. This was a terrible way to go off the air with this fight. And Joe Rogan was condemning it. The UFC cameras even just went to like an overhead shot of the arena. They didn't even want to show it. No one knew what was going on. Bob Bennett is there in the cage. Everyone is in the octagon. And then we see a close-up where Dana is explaining to Nurmagomedov that they do not want to present him with the title because they are in fear of the audience revolting and throwing stuff uh, that might injure people. So Khabib is ushered to the back where objects were thrown at him on the way to the back. And then we just ended the show. It was a really... You know, the the cynical side of me that has followed combat sports all my life thought by the end of this that this is the promo for the rematch. I, I, sure, yeah. I, if the UFC wants to do it again, um, the, the fight was competitive enough that I think they could sell a rematch. But who would have thought that Conor McGregor would be a victim of something here? Like, that's uh, a little odd, don't you think? Like, to, to kind of... To, what, what is your immediate reaction to what the punishment is going to be for this? Well, if it was his brother that jumped in, which I believe it was that his brother that jumped in and punched him, so I, his brother's probably going to be barred from ringside. I would say anyone that jumped into the cage is going to be facing fines, suspensions, but Nurmagomedov himself, I mean, he very much initiated here by cl- going to the floor. I mean, there has to be... You would say there has to be some reprimand, but... I thought instantly when I saw what Conor McGregor did in New York that there would be grave punishment for him, which really was lacking. Well, there was punishment for Conor McGregor. He did face criminal charges. He did have to go through a legal ordeal, and he did come out of that unscathed. And I will imagine that um, Habib will face some type of fine from the Nevada State Athletic Commission for this and probably some suspension. But the UFC, though, I imagine they are going to put their hands up that this is in the hands of the commission. We are not going to much like Connor. We are a, not going to be touching this. That's guy. a typical answer. Yeah, I think that's that probably makes sense. And now yeah, all the punishments will go down to the periphery characters. I mean, maybe Dylan Dennis will get even banned. even though when we have seen a what, what a Paul Daly has put his hands on a fighter after a fight or a Jason High has shoved the referee, then the UFC believes that's within their jurisdiction to fire a guy. From, from their promotion. So the world of uh, the UFC is what rife I want to hear standards. is, um, like, he, he, after he was talking, um, he was trying to explain himself. And I'm like, what does he have to explain that couldn't condone him jumping over and, you know, attacking someone in, I guess, technically the audience or the, the, the crew, right? So I mean, th- there's, at that point, there's no justification for attacking anyone. The competition is over, so... Whether it's Conor McGregor or a member of his team or a member of the audience, everybody's a bystander at that point. And it was it was very uncharacteristic um, because we never really see uh, Habib rattled. And we didn't really see him rattled too much in the lead up to this fight either. But um, it's clear from the way that he handled the victory that there was a lot of emotions at work in this fight. And it all came out at the end there. Well, you even said that the, at the beginning of the fight, he looked kind of nervous, right? So I, I saw it too, and I agreed with you. It was very similar to the uh, to the Strike Force card that ended up 
getting yeah. them knocked off of CBS the when Mayhem when you had Diaz. Mayhem Miller and the Diaz brothers and the the infamous Gus Johnson line that these things happen in MMA uh, and that was about eight years ago yeah, that that and, occurred. and I thought nothing could be worse than that and I actually think this one's do do you see this being a really big sports story coming out of this just because of the giant scope of this fight oh it has oh for sure it has to be Conor McGregor win or lose is going to be a headline and now this this black eye is going to lead all the stories and it's also going to be the headline on a lot of publications that don't normally cover MMA so whether that be um you know the New York Times or ESPN who's now in in the MMA world a little bit more it's just it's just going to dominate the headlines and and that's disappointing because it was a, a really good entertaining fight up until that point and how do you promote your champion now right it's like hey here's your champion who went out jumped over the cage and attacked someone in the audience right i just have to look at the fact that this could be MMA's version of the bite fight that it's this this horrible black eye that this company will have no problem using to their advantage to promote a possible rematch down the road that once everyone cools down it's a it's it's a feud that they will use to their advantage and people will probably look down upon it um it's not something that i, I think people like the fact that they would use this but i think after you use the bus incident to sell a pay-per-view i mean that's that's kind of what they're in the business of doing is taking controversy and pushing buttons for an emotional response and that's that's what this was would you say this was worse than the bus incident no i i thought the bus incident was maybe the worst thing i've ever seen in, in mixed martial arts in terms of you know this watching those videos of just how frightened those people were in that bus and momentarily not even knowing what was going on like this this arena being under under attack and you have a guy lifting a, a guardrail and throwing a dolly at a window. Yeah, and you got dudes weird. that are in the midst of cutting weight that Michael Chiesa's cut from the forehead. Um, you know, I, I think both are horrible scenes in mixed martial arts um, that this feud has generated. I think this one is probably worse because the potential for even greater disaster was higher. This was a larger group of people. Yeah. yeah this, and it was live too, right? Like when they, when you just saw everyone in a frenzy, I was in fear that this was going to be a full scale riot. Yeah. And you have 18,000 people in an arena, many of whom could be at varying levels of, uh, of being uh, completely inebriated. Yeah. Like this this could have been extremely worse than it was. And it wasn't, it was bad as it was. It, it, it could have been much worse. It if, might not be over. These people are going to spill out yeah. into the hotel lobbies. And well, they even said it at the end of the show. Like, they're like, it's there's happen. going to be fights in the streets, a hundred percent, uh, coming out of this. Like, you have, a, an emotionally charged audience that has just seen this that is going to be leaving. And I have no doubt that there's probably going to be uh, violence as a byproduct of this scene. It looked like the commission was unprepared for something like this as well, because prior to the fight, they had security separating them in the cage. But then it's like, oh, the fight's over. We're just can just be sort of relaxed. And they were just really caught off guard. But yeah, they were caught off guard. And because Habib was in the crowd fighting, 
all the attention was there, which gave the opportunity for his teammates to go in and and attack Connor. And and really, the guy like three the the guys who jumped over the cage. Yeah, they went. They they didn't even they weren't even kicked out of the cage. It was like they didn't even know who did uh, who the perpetrators were. Uh, after they broke everything up, it, it was uh, yeah. Because I, I saw the guy in the red first, but then when we replayed it, there was the guy in the black first, which is his brother, I believe. And uh, there was it was nuts. Like I was just like, it was crazy because it happened so fast. Like you can see him walking towards to the end of the cage and yelling outside. And you're like, okay, he's just gonna go give him the finger, and then all of a sudden he just went right over, and then you know shot to the side, and everyone pushing each other over. It was crazy. It was hectic. You know, we'll monitor any news that's uh, coming out of this tonight because it must be chaos at the T-Mobile arena at the moment and what they're dealing with. Uh, It almost feels like anticlimactic to actually go back to the fight, which I think that was, you know, very disappointing. You could hear on behalf of the announcers who have to, you know, be professionals and keep calling through all of this. But you could just see the disappointment, in particular, Joe Rogan, who was just livid at the actions here of Nurmagomedov to start this and that it ruined what was a, a very intriguing fight and and I think lived up to expectations. Yeah. So the fight itself saw uh, Nurmagomedov, I, I thought, pretty clearly win, win the first two rounds. In particular, the second round seemed to be on the verge of stopping McGregor. He was able to get the takedowns and it was McGregor just trying to work from underneath and he was getting lit up in that second round. Things turned around for him in the third round. That was his best round. I think all three of us believe McGregor won the third yeah, he round. He him twice. Uh, two really good shots. Nurmagomedov was landing as well in the yeah. third, but I thought McGregor had the more significant strikes. And then in the fourth, it was a big takedown by Nurmagomedov that set up the finish as he got to his back. Locked on the neck crank, and McGregor tapped out. But I, I thought a really entertaining fight. I think everyone was kind of at the edge of their seat, seeing if Connor would be able to get up off his back. He he showed pretty good takedown defense at varying parts, but I mean, Nurmagomedov was well on his way to a decision victory had the stoppage yeah, not occurred. I mean, but he, he had control, and like you know, just like the announcement were saying, like the way that he was just kept crossing Connor's leg, like he did it at a whim. Like it wasn't even hard. It was like second nature to him. And like Connor had no answer to it really. Right. And there was a few times where he almost gave up his back. And I was like, well, we all know how he is on his back. Cause well, Nate tapped him out too. So uh, I'm not surprised by the finish after that, but Phil, did you see any large, uh, Adjustments from from Conor McGregor, whether it be his conditioning or takedown defense for Nurmagomedov, or was this fight did it largely play out in your head as you envisioned? It mostly played out the way I thought. I I thought the most likely scenario, rather, was that Habib would do what he's been doing to everybody, and he would control the takedown, and he would dominate positionally, and he would just maul him as he's mauled most guys. And I thought Conor McGregor did an excellent job. He, for the most part, withstood the punishment. He, even though he was positionally controlled in the first round, he didn't exert a lot of energy. He was able to get up from time to time. He was uh, very effective with uh, a front kick uh, to the midsection that he landed over and over again. He was able to land strikes and... It looked for a moment that maybe the the fight was turning in his favor. And even when he was taking shots in the second round, he was covering up 
quite well. And, and he didn't really look tired. He didn't look like he lost because he was fatigued. I'm sure that played a part of it, but it looked like just uh, Nurmagomedov turned the volume up a little bit and just really sunk into finishing the fight and getting that final positional control. So I thought Conor McGregor did showed a lot in defeat, and it was a really entertaining fight. It was it was it was it was a really competitive fight up until the end. Even though uh, Nurmagomedov was winning uh, two rounds to one going into the fourth, with one of those being a ten eight. I also think like um, you know before like when Connor was taken down like with Nate Diaz and stuff, and how tired he looked. Like he looked so much better and more prepared this time than he did before. Yeah, he seemed to really pace himself well. Like even in the first round where he was taken down, he wasn't exerting himself significantly wasn't panicking uh being placed against against the cage and it seemed like in his head he realized that okay i get a reset at the end of these five minutes and he yeah i I think that he was very much cognizant of the fact that this could be a 25 minute fight and being prepared for that because i think that was a big problem especially in the first ds fight uh does your gut tell you that we will see this fight again between these two or do you not see their paths crossing again in their careers i mean i I think you kind of have to right i mean it's scary what to think what can happen in the promos and everything leading up to that or, you know, the the media work that they're going to do. They'll probably be in separate rooms or something like that. It'll be probably very similar to Jones and Cormier at that point, but probably even more separated than those two were. Because at least those two didn't go in and attack people that wasn't themselves. Is there any chance that Nurmagomedov is stripped as a result of this? That there is such a suspension? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It makes no, no. There, there. I, I don't understand why they would do that. No, like, I'm, no. See, like for me, like I, like I actually was on Dana's side here for once, where I was like, I hope they don't put the belt on him, like on TV, because like here's your champ, the guy that went out and jumped someone after a fight, right? So it's. They definitely put the UFC in a very weird position, and uh, I think we'll hear some typical Dana <laughs> verbiage about disappointment and disgust, and he'll have all sorts of adjectives. But uh, no, I, I don't think they're going to strip him. They need a champion. He's he's a huge draw, and so I guess the question is is how much. The Nevada Commission takes action on this, whether they just look at this as something that they are going to treat this one with kid gloves and give him a nine month suspension and boom, he's he's right back. Or whether they're going to just feel that this was an enormous scene that they don't want to encourage, that they're going to. I, I really am not all that optimistic that he's going to face a gigantic punishment or from the Nevada Commission. For another interim title, right? <laughs> I think he could get a significant, maybe a six-figure fine, which in the scheme of this payday is not significant, but for most fighters, that's a huge amount. So, And the commission saves space by stating yeah. that we didn't let this go unchecked. Yeah, and the, the goal is to really discourage this thing from happening in the future. So if they fine him a quarter million, that might discourage some lesser fighters who aren't even going to get anything close to that from trying that uh, I mean, I don't really believe could, that. It's just... Could the UFC get in trouble by the commission? 
for not, maybe like better security or whatnot? Or mm, I really don't see that being the. It, I, I see it being the specific parties involved, like the pe- like Khabib, and especially the fighters that jump the cage. Okay. I would say those would be the the targets. I mean, those guys in reality could face assault charges. Yeah. I mean, technically, Khabib could face an assault charge. Yeah. The idea that anybody's going to pursue those, though. I'm not sure about that. Because they'll just turn around and like, hey, look at the bus incident. Like, well, Connor was charged in yeah. that bus incident, right? He did have to go to court. He did have to engage in a plea deal. So it wouldn't surprise me if uh, one of the Habib's teammates gets charged. Let us move down. Tony Ferguson, Anthony Pettis. This feels like uh, an eternity ago that this fight <laughs> occurred on Saturday night. This turned into an an incredible fight. In the first round, uh, Ferguson was just backing up Pettis and having a lot of success when he was able to close the distance, place Pettis up against the fence. And then towards the end, Ferguson, he tried to like jump off the cage and, and land some strikes to kind of solidify the round. And then round two began, which may be on people's shortlist for round of the year. Pettis dropped him and starts swarming him with strikes. And we're just seeing this blood all over Tony Ferguson's face. And they're speculating on the broadcast that it's from his jaw, which I was... If that's his jaw, this dude's in a lot of trouble. And then it turned out there's this big cut on the hairline of Anthony Pettis. And he was playing the role of Niagara Falls with this cut. Uh, They check on the cut, which inadvertently allowed Ferguson to kind of get, you know, more acclimated and, and recover from all of these strikes he had just ate from Pettis. So when the round resumed, Ferguson did a 180 and dominated the rest of this round, uh, just striking Pettis up against the fence where Pettis had a lot of trouble getting off of. Second round ends, he goes to the corner, and Duke Rufus, Anthony Pettis' cornerman, realizes he has a broken hand, and Duke Rufus says, I don't want you going out there if you can't fight to your best abilities. And he called off the fight, and I had zero problem with this. And that was the end of the fight after two rounds. thought it was an outstanding fight. Tony Ferguson was, like, on his knees, very emotional after this win. And coming back in record time from knee surgery to win a really big fight and get his name right back into the top end of the lightweight mix. But excellent fight, I thought. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think that uh, Tony Ferguson, you know, showed us what a freak he is to be able to recover without that. And apparently he he didn't do any physical therapy, which is crazy. But, like, he, he looked really good. Um, you know, the thing I liked about the fight is they both looked like they had a lot of fun. Like, they were talking back and forth to each other. There was a lot of respect at the end. Unlike the fun. Looked like a great time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guys with leaking faucets on one another. Yeah, it looked uh, tremendous. But um, I guess what were some of your thoughts, Phil, of like Tony Ferguson coming into this and questions you may have had? Um, The biggest questions for me going into this were about Tony's movement. That was Mm -hmm. such a big part of his game prior to this. And it looked like he didn't really miss a step. He was switching stances. He was moving in and out. He looked a lot leaner than he normally does. Mm. Um, maybe he that was came out like he looked like he was still in the midst of cutting weight. Like yeah. he, he had the you know, cheeks all sucked in. I mean, it just... I wonder if it was intentional because he is one of the bigger weight cutters in that mm-hmm. division. So maybe he was just trying to make sure that it was a nice clean weight cut. So he, he felt good going in. Um, 
I mean, that's just speculation on my part, but... When he came out from round two, he looked like a zombie. Like, he was... He was leaned forward, and I thought he was like a zombie or like a vampire about to strike. And he was smiling, just yeah. dripping blood. I mean, he did have a moment in that fight when he got dropped, and he looked like he was in trouble. And then he did the roll. And yeah, I mean, he did his, some crazy rolls, and there was there was a lot of shenanigans in this fight around spinning maneuvers, cartwheel kicks, yeah. back fists, elbows. So uh, it was a very entertaining fight. But- I, I don't... I. I don't know if this makes me. If I don't know if this is a better performance than I've seen from <coughs> Habib, in, or excuse me, from Tony in the past. So I, I don't know if it makes me more excited for a potential fight with Habib. But there's no denying that he deserves a title fight at this point. Yeah, I think he set himself up really well. I mean, for a guy that you think of all the scary moments he has in fights that he comes back from something. I mean, he is fourteen and one. In the UFC. His last loss was Michael Johnson in 2012. Like, this is not a guy that, you know, wins three, loses one. to Like, he's just been consistent for six years. And, yeah, I mean, everything is so much up in the air as we're speaking just, you know, half an hour after this main event of what is going to happen uh, with Nurmaga Madoff. But I think Tony Ferguson, whatever the next title scenario is, um, whether Tony Ferguson is somebody that will either be fighting Nurmaga Madoff, could be fighting Conor McGregor, could be fighting the winner of Nate Diaz, Dustin Poirier. There, there's a lot of great options you have at lightweight, and Tony Ferguson is in the midst of all those ideas. Yeah, for sure. And even like to what Phil was saying, like all the craziness that was happening, like after he took like the first hard shot, he went for like a spinning elbow right afterwards. I was like, this guy's crazy. What version of... Were you impressed with Anthony Pettis in, in this fight? Was this... Because it was a fight that I think he's going to get um, some positive momentum out of this fight. But in terms of just, you know, the the never-ending question of what version of Anthony Pettis will we see? Uh, was this a positive Anthony Pettis or was this, did you see a lot of holes? I don't know that I would say I saw a lot of holes. Tony Ferguson has a style that is unmatched. The level of output that he's able to generate, the angles that he's able to attack from. So... It might be that nobody can can really defeat Tony Ferguson at this point. I thought that uh, Anthony Pettis fought well through a lot of it. He had a lot of dynamic strikes. He was taking a lot of shots to the body that was slowing him down quite a bit. But he was always in the fight. He was always throwing with power and, and with good accuracy. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily um, some type of career-defining loss, he can definitely bounce back. I just wonder at this point, though, if we've seen the best Anthony Pettis that we've seen. Is he... If Yeah. Is he somebody who's sort of maybe... He's still so young, but could he be a gatekeeper sort of role? Um, it's hard to say. He, but he did look good at, at moments in this fight, so I, I'd still like to see him against the top guy uh, not too long from now. I think... I mean... A fight with you know, Dustin Poirier could be a really good fight for him, I think, even uh, depending on how that goes. If Dustin Poirier wins, he's way closer to a title shot, so that doesn't make sense. But I think that would be a good style matchup. Is there anything, just going back to the main event of uh, with Conor McGregor, of what makes the most sense for him? 
that's both um, a highly marketable fight and, and also one that let, let's put Habib on on the sidelines for the moment. I mean, is there anything that, that jumps out at you? Is is the George fight something that is realistic? Is the Nate fight going to be something revisited or is there a, a left field choice out there? I think the obvious one is the Nate fight, especially, I mean, kind of regardless of Nate wins or loses, but especially if you can go to that loses, fight regardless. Yeah. I think that the thing with that fight is you can do it at any point. So it's really about what does Connor want to do? If Connor wants, if Connor really wants the rematch, if he really feels that he, he just needs to make some small adjustments, whether that's reality or a fantasy, maybe that is the fight to make because it was a competitive entertainment, entertaining fight. And of, of course, from a business standpoint, it's bigger than anything else they've done, most likely. Outside of that, there, there doesn't really, feel like maybe I mean there's uh the potential Max Holloway rematch at 155 that's something I think some people would be interested in but really what's gonna drive Connor's career if he can't get this uh, belt back is just the biggest marquee names who's the biggest name that he can fight and that's Nate Diaz and I can't really think of another name after that and George St. Pierre doesn't make sense because George St. Pierre's in it to George St. Pierre, of course he wants to make money, but he also wants a fight that's going to cement him as the greatest ever. If Conor won tonight, do you think that fight would be I do much, think, much I, likelier? Yes, yes. But I think that a George St. Pierre-Habib Nurmagomedov fight is a strong possibility. Because mm. if, if George can win that, that does cement him as the best fighter of all time. And that's a legacy fight for Habib as well. It would be a huge feather in his cap to out wrestle the best wrestler some uh some tweets here from daniel cormier hey guys two wrongs don't make it right connor didn't deserve that no one did but some things aren't for fight promotion religion family country throwing stuff in brooklyn for habib it wasn't fight promotion it was really personal different culture man sucks and then mark Ramondi says i'm outside t-mobile arena and there are people wearing khabib shirts and irish flags hugging each other and taking pictures and dancing with one another. Not what I expected. Wow, look at... Wow. I believe in America. So, <laughs> give, give, give peace a chance, everybody. Maybe maybe the fans are going to be the cooler heads that prevail. Can we send them to Washington? <laughs> uh, no, we got... Uh, yeah, there was, there was enough of that this week. Uh, Oban St. Peru, Dominic Reyes, light heavyweight fight. Really a big coming out party, I thought, for, for Dominic Reyes. That if you hadn't been following his career, 9-0 at this point. Uh, but this was his... His biggest platform and most notable opponent just looked great in the striking department. Spot on. 10-8 first round. He outstruck Ovin St. Preux by a margin. I believe the stat was 61 to 6. No, 66 to... Uh, I think it was maybe 60. Oh, a no, lot to, to a little. Um, including 44 head strikes, which is never good to be yes. taken. Uh, continued. Definitely slowed down in the second and third. There was a big, big output in the first, but still... Won the second. Third round, uh, we saw St. Prue land a bit, but Reyes went right back to his leg kicks. And right at the end of the round, he dropped St. Prue with a left hand. The horn sounds, and there was confusion whether it was a knockout or if the fight reached its conclusion. Uh, referee Dan Mergliata did rule that it was not a knockout, and thus we went to the judges' scorecards. All three judges scored at 30-27. I think you can make strong arguments that you could give a 10-8 to the third round, to the first round. 
Like I, I could see both of those being ten eight rounds. So if you had it thirty twenty five, I'm much closer on on that than thirty twenty seven. We we saw some very bizarre rounds that were scored ten eights, yeah. and some very I thought clear cut ten eight rounds that were not. There's so. a, there's a bunch of weird moments on yeah. this. There were some strange scoring, roughing too. Like when they're they're. Uh, like even in the Watterson fight when they when they they stood him up when Watterson was doing some work, I was like, "Why are you standing them up?" It was it was a really weird event in, in in that sense for sure. It was a great fight for the light heavyweight division that Dominic Reyes wins this fight. I think Open Saint Prue wins this fight. You just knock off a potential contender and doesn't do a whole lot for him who is going to be you know a gatekeeper at two hundred and five yeah. pounds for Dominic Reyes. Like they are desperate for light heavyweights at the moment. So um, did you know? Added his name to the mix. Uh, Derek Lewis and Alexander Volkov. I thought this maybe this was going to be the most talked about fight coming out of uh, Saturday. Not quite, but uh, Alexander Volkov started off and he is swarming Derek Lewis with strikes in the opening round. And it looks like he, he's about to stop him. And then we had Derek Lewis turn his back. Volkov stops fighting. And Herb Dean is confused. We are confused. Fighters are not allowed to call time during a fight. That is, that is a finish. Like you are, you are signaling an end to the fight. And Volkov is thinking he had poked Lewis in the eye. Lewis is indicating like he has been poked in the eye. There was no eye poke. And then they resume the fight. But I mean, Alexander Volkov could have. I think this was kind of on him. He should not have stopped fighting. I don't think he he thought that he poked him in the eye, but I think he wanted to check on the eye because, like, the way that, like, Lewis was, like, um, you know, grabbing his eye and everything like that is, like, I actually thought he was being a gentleman or something, and he wanted to check for his well-being, which was weird, by the way, but... Well, I mean, that's not, like... Sportsmanship, I suppose. He may have caused himself the fight. But it's not really sportsmanship because it was... He wasn't poked was in the in, eye. Yeah, it was it was in competition. It wasn't yeah. like he was damaged. He was hurt. Yeah. He might have had. They, they were speculating he could have had a broken orbital bone. And you'll see that sometimes where fighters are complaining to the ref about their eye, and it's no, you've you've got a damaged eye, and you're getting hit in the eye. Yeah, and that was he, a clean punch. That was it, clean. it was completely clean. Like had Volkov not been so gentlemanly, he probably finishes the fight in this first well, round. That's what that's what actually upset me. Is just like he he. He he just kept pacing himself, and he 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 didn't go for his jab, and he was like stopping and hitting, and well, we all know how it ended, but yeah, well, there was much more of this in the in the second round, like two clear Volkov rounds. Derek Lewis is just trying to swing big shots, and at one point even tried to goad him down to the mat uh, onto his back, and in the thir- in between rounds, Derek Lewis's corner is telling him if. I need you to listen like you have never listened before. You need to stop him in this round. Like, there was no sugarcoating. There was no bullshit. We are down. You've got to finish this guy. And Volkov is jabbing away at him. It looks like this guy is en route to a very simple decision victory. No controversy. And with seconds to go, Lewis dumps him onto the canvas with a right hand. He gets on top with these (coughs) bombs. And he had select shots throughout this fight where the crowd came to life as he landed them. But here, with 11 seconds to go, he knocks Alexander Volkov into another area code. And Derek Lewis stops him. Knocks him out 449 of the third round. This was unreal. Yeah, Volkov, like, honestly, he, he made me so mad because he basically threw the fight. Like, if he had just kept pressure on, like, if you look at Lewis, 
he was dead standing up. Like he he was so out of it. His stomach, his like just everything about him was like not even there. And all he had to do was just keep pressure on him. And even at the end, all he had to do was not engage him and he would have won the fight and Well, I think that was actually the problem. I think he with the last minute of the fight, he sort of went into a pure defensive mode. If he had sort of just kept with a little bit yeah. more countering, he wouldn't he wouldn't have gotten clipped. I think yeah. he, he got too defensive clock watching and then and and just and that's also because he stopped fighting him. Like there, there were so many times during the fight where literally Lewis was just there and he was dazed and he looked really out of it. And he all he had to do was just even work the jab more. Like he didn't work the jab enough, in my opinion. And I think he he could have worked some kicks more too, especially. And he didn't do any of those things. And he 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 really let the fight go. His kicks looked really effective in this fight. He yeah. landed body kicks that were crumpling. Uh, Lewis at yeah. moments, so it, it was a, it was a crazy comeback. But you could kind of feel it happening. Yeah. Like you like, there's like 30 seconds left, and you could just just feel the beast emerging. This was like that Tim Boach Yushin Okami fight that yeah. had the big comeback in the in the third round. Uh, just uh, this one to me was even more dramatic because Lewis was just so far behind, and yeah. boom, this he lands a shot. Definitely one of the biggest comebacks I think in UFC history. It reminded me of when. Um, Todd Duffy got knocked out by... Um, oh, Tim Hag? No. Was it? it no. It wasn't... T- I can't even remember this guy's name. I'm sorry, but it, it was a very boring fight that uh, Todd Duffy was dominating oh, with with technical, with technical striking, and he just got flatlined right at the end of the fight. I think it's like the biggest comeback of all time. We're going to have to look this up. The Duff man, Todd Duffy. I, I want to say it was... Uh, I'm, I'm not going to... This was oh Mike Mike uh, Mike uh, Russo Russo yeah Mike yeah Russo. this was yeah. two thirty three of the third round UFC one fourteen two thousand and ten uh, afterwards you know the finish is a highly very memorable finish but then it was the post fight interview <laughs> that is going to cement this fight in people's memory Joe Rogan gets into the cage and his first question after this dramatic finish to a fight Derek Lewis wins yet another fight. Derek, why'd you take your pants off? And Derek responds, because my balls are hot. (laughs) And Joe Rogan, without skipping a beat, I understand. (laughs) And Derek Lewis just went into a monologue. He explained that uh, President Trump called him up to take care of the Russian because they've been making him look bad on the news. (laughs) He talked about wanting to go smoke weed with Joe Rogan on his podcast. I mean... There was no way you could not have been a fan of Derek Lewis after this. I, I personally, I would love to watch Derek Lewis and Brock Lesnar just oh for just for the countdown special to go <laughs> back and forth between these two individuals. I think that would be a way more captivating fight. Yeah. But instead, Derek Lewis won the right to be seated uh, in the front row when Brock Lesnar challenges <laughs> for the UFC heavyweight title uh, in his return. That is what Derek Lewis will be doing. But. Uh, I mean, the guys won now nine of ten fights. Didn't he, didn't he challenge Blades after on like Twitter or something? Well, Curtis Blades was challenging him, and oh. then Derek Lewis addressed him, saying, "I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to get me to accept the challenge with him, so I don't get the title fight next." So he pretty much left although, it. Although, open. although at the end of the fight, the 
Derek Lewis did say, like, he's like, oh man, I need to work on my cardio because I can't beat That was it. He, he also, when he was asked about the title fight, he's like, man, with my cardio, I'm not ready for a title fight. Not with this gas tank. I, f- I feel like he said this in multiple victories. <laughs> so. It was also brought up. I don't know if anyone was aware of this, but the announcers alerted us that. Derek Lewis has a bad back. <laughs> this has been this chronic injury this dude has had for as long as I can remember yeah. hearing Derek Lewis interviews is his back. And the update was, well, for this camp, he's been stretching. <laughs> he's been stretching. He's got he's to call up DDP. DDP, oh Get yeah. some DDPY. <laughs> Send him some DVDs. I think it could save his life or at least his, uh, his fighting career. But uh, despite all that, I mean, the guy wins consistently. Great personality, and the the issue is that this heavyweight title is going to be tied up amongst Daniel Cormier, Brock Lesnar, and if he so chooses, John Jones, that yeah. I don't know if a Derek Lewis uh, is not going to have to take minimum one more fight before he is considered. Stevie Miocic is still deserving of... Miocic is totally of, in there as right? well. So They're probably going to push him on taking a fight with Derek Lewis. That's a good fight, though. That's a good fight. I, I think... It's not a fun night for Derek Lewis. It'll get his cardio up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The pay-per-view opened with uh, Michelle Watterson taking on Felice Herrig. Uh, They went the distance here. Round one was very close. I edged it towards Watterson with the the sidekick she was landing, but the second half was Felice Herrig tying her up against the fence, so you could have gone either way. Second round, they went back to clinching. Watterson nailed her and did did a, a throw to the mat. And Watterson was able to get into her guard, controlled the rest of the round. And then in the third, Herrig uh, is taken down. She's eating all of these elbows. Watterson's on her back, but she's the one doing all the damage. And they got stood up, which, I mean, in one sense, you may think they're rewarding Watterson. But she was doing just fine on her back. She was landing a lot of quality elbows and was on her way to winning this. And, I mean, took the third round. Nailed her with this push kick to the face as well. Yeah, but, like, Felice, she couldn't figure out what to do. Like, she... It was weird because it was, like, you technically have advantage because you're on top. But, like, Watterson's game was, like, spot on. Um, She went for an omoplata at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, I would have... That would have been amazing if she hit that. I would have been... I, I thought this was a really good performance from Michelle Watterson. Uh, I scored a 30-27. The judges had it 30-27. Okay. 29-28. Agreed. First round. Very close. 30-26. <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah. I don't know which round was our 10-8 round. The one that did not occur in uh, in our fight earlier with... Uh, uh, Oh, which was the fight that had the uh, the egregious ones? The uh, oh, uh, Dominic Reyes. Yes. Yeah. No ten eights in that, but Michelle Waterson scoring a, a ten eight. Would, would it be round. Would it be the third round when she? she I would say it would have been the second round when she met, sort of took top position. That I think would be the round where. But I thought she, she was more dominant in the third one when when she was on the ground. These are also this is also Nevada, which does not subscribe to the new rules either. So a ten eight is is not it's not as liberal as uh, other states where you see some you know more liberal ten eights uh, delivered. <laughs> so that was the main card. Quickly go through the results, Ziggy. If you want to chime in on any of these, uh, feel free. The fight pass prelims opened up with Tony Martin stopping Ryan Lafleur at one minute of the third round. Really good striking, I thought, out of Tony Martin. He ended up landing a head kick, and Ryan LaFleur was out. 
finished him with hammer fist. Uh, but then afterwards, Tony Martin cut the most insane promo I've ever heard. The the arena is empty. Okay, yeah. this was like not even friends and family number of people <laughs> in the T-Mobile arena. There were maybe thirty people, and this dude is yelling at the top of his lungs like he's on Saturday night's main event, <laughs> yelling about Joe. I want some real fighters. I'm calling you out, you motherfuckers. And he's just screaming. Yeah. It was jarring. It was 6.30 p.m. Those 30 people are probably pressed, too. Like, that's the, that's the thing. Like, it was nobody there. Even, like, during the whole fight, like I said, it was like, it was like a, like a season of Tough Enough or whatever it's called. Well, Tony Martin uh, got the win here. Nick Lentz versus Gray Maynard. This was, um... This was a man that was, I think, punching his ticket out of mixed martial arts. This was painful to watch. Even more painful to be involved in, if you were Gray Maynard. He was destroyed in this first round. I thought there were several chances that Dan Murugliata could have stopped this. It was a 10-8 round. Nick Lentz has evolved from simply being a high-end grappler to a very dangerous striker that trains under Henry Hoof now. And he just relied pretty much all on his striking. Um, did go for a guillotine that Gray escaped from. And then into the second, Maynard got poked in the eye. And then when they resumed, they both landed some big shots. But it was Lentz clearly with the advantage. Knocked him down with a head kick. And he was done. 119 of the second round. Gray Maynard, God bless the guy, was complaining that it was an early stoppage. <laughs> and I was like, man, this was a very tough fight to watch. If you have been following Gray Maynard, who has been fighting for the UFC for 11 years now. I think I think it was in in re- retrospect a uh, early stoppage, considering how much they let it go to begin with, and that was weird time to call it. But he would have been finished anyways, regardless. This wasn't as extreme as the Chris Weidman Luke Rockhold fight, where Rockhold was nearly about to kill this man at the end of the third round, and then it was stopped so quickly in the fourth, where yeah. I feel Herb Dean was stopping this as a I'm sorry. I let that one go way too long in the last round and just got Chris Weidman out of there. But this reminded me of that. Yana Kunitskaya and Lena Landsberg in a battle of cyborg victims, which <laughs> this card was... We had three of them on yeah. this show. Uh, Yana Kunitskaya, I thought, won all three rounds here. A f- pretty dull fight, Not I thought, overall. Um, a lot of control against the fence. Clinch work from Kunitskaya. She got a takedown off the fence at the end. And worked around her yeah, jab. She had no answer to to her, and she just dominated her. And it wasn't like it wasn't even like you know. It was more just control dominating. It wasn't like any like big kicks or anything like that or hard hits. It was just it was whatever. Scott Holtzman versus Alan Patry was our uh, our next fight. And as I uh, lost my notes here. Uh, Scott Holtzman was an underdog in this fight, and he, he looked great. Like, his striking was just fantastic throughout this fight, and then he ended it in the third, where he was able to mount him, and he dropped these four elbows that were punishing. Yeah. I I thought he might have broken this guy's jaw. They landed so flush and put Alan Patria, 342 of the third round, wins by knockout. The unfortunate part was Scott Holtzman... Alerting Joe Rogan, I broke both my hands during that fight. Yeah. A lot of broken hands on this show, but uh, a very, why, very good one. Probably he went to his elbow. <laughs> it, it, it probably was. He had no use of his hands. Um, Tanya Evinger 
the other uh, cyborg victim, taking on Aspen Lad. Aspen Lad had a horrendous time making weight. Uh, she got onto the scale, made the weight, and then as she stepped off the scale, the the UFC personnel asked her to get back onto the scale so she could pose for the photographers. And she informed them, I am not able to get onto the scale. That is frightening. Someone's going to die one day. Like, it's it's ridiculous. And she has had, uh, she's missed weight in the past as well. So bantamweight, not an easy weight for her to make. And, you know, she was asked about this a lot going into it. But, man, she made up for it in this performance. She was able to uh, get Everger down off the cage. Um, she got to the side and started landing strikes uh, with hammer fists connecting. And then Lad took her back turned it to mount, and she just destroyed her with shots all over uh, to the side of the head, and she was relentless here, not slowing down. Fight was stopped at 326 of the first round, and Aspen Ladd improves to 7-0. and So someone that, I mean, despite the, the weight issues, uh, she did make weight, so that was a positive, and someone at bantamweight to watch out. I just hope that she can make this weight safely because she's a real prospect at 135 yeah, pounds. Yeah, she, she looked really good. She dominated from... And a division that is you know in dire need of challengers for yeah. Amanda Nunez. Uh, Vicente Luque, Jalen Turner. Jalen Turner was off of Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. This was a last-minute uh, replacement, and... Turner was actually coming up from lightweight to take this fight at 170 pounds. He had trained with Michael Bisping in the past, who was talking about him on the pre-show. Luque was having a lot of success with his left hand, but I thought Turner very active with his counters. Uh, The one mistake he made, Luque was just on point. The slightest opening he was going to capitalize on, and Turner went for a spinning back elbow. Luque absorbed it, but in spinning, Luque caught him, dropped him, and he just landed these gigantic shots and knocked out I Jaylen thought he was Turner. dead. Like, he was out. Like, he he took a while getting back up, and he was just flat on the ground. There were some scary finishes yeah. on the show of dudes that were just, uh, like, flatlining. Yeah. Juicy Formiga, Sergio Pettis was our final prelim bout. Not the most exciting fight in the world. It was uh, Juicy Formiga, who's an extremely talented grappler, to watch him just be able to shut guys down. And that's kind of what he did with Sergio Pettis. And... Pettis was, um, you know, battling the takedown in the first round. He was taken down. Formiga continued in the second using the single leg to set up a takedown and just moved to half guard, controlling him on top right until the end. And in the third, Pettis lands a left hook, left jab. Looks like he's starting to get his rhythm going with his striking. And Formiga jumped onto his back like a backpack. And he stayed there for the entire round. And Pettis was trying to land shots, but Formiga just stayed on his back the whole time. I thought Vermiga won all three rounds. The judges had it 30 yeah. 26, 29 28, 29 28. If you I don't want know. to throw in a 10 8, I don't know. I'm assuming the third round, I guess, but like nothing happened. So, like, it was weird. I don't know why there was a 10 8 there, but it is what it is. Really stalls the momentum Sergio Pettis had. I, I don't know if Henry Cejudo and Juicy Formiga is a fight that they are anxiously trying to make, but uh, nonetheless. Um, that was our flyweight fight on the show. But, I mean, overall, save for this brawl at the end, I, I thought this was a, a pretty great show overall. It was, you know, had a lot of entertaining stuff on the undercard, and you had some big performances on the main card, and this was will very likely be the biggest card in UFC history. We were talking about the pay-per-view buys. Uh, what do you think this, this hit, Phil? 
Very difficult to predict that. And how about your world that was talking about this fight? Did you 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 have there much were, more of a social were, life than me? <laughs> there were, uh, there was definitely talk um, from people about this fight at my office. Uh, people who don't normally talk about fights, but uh, there's always interest around Conor McGregor. Um, it was definitely nowhere near the interest level of the Mayweather fight. The Mayweather fight had people who had no business even thinking about fighting, talking about fighting. So I don't think it's going to hit that level, but Habib is a huge star. People don't really recognize that because he's not a huge name here, but he's got a million followers on Instagram. He's huge in Russia. Are you one of the millions? I'm not, I'm not following him on Instagram. Uh, so I do think it can do around that two million mark. It's it's possible. I, I it's very difficult. I mean, the last time I predicted a pay per view buy rate on this show, I I failed miserably, <laughs> and that was good because it uh, outperformed what I thought it would do. But there's no doubt that it was a huge event, and from the competitive standpoint, it was a great success. It was a great fight. I think if people can let go of what happened after the fight, people who tuned in were entertained by this fight. It was a really good, fun fight to can watch. Can you let it go, though? I think I think down I the like line. I think down the line, when people remember the fight, they're gonna remember the fight and. Yeah, they'll remember the shenanigans afterwards, but as long as nobody was seriously hurt, I think it will be the fight that's remembered. In the in in Habib's legacy, he defeated Connor. He made him submit like he he said he would, and he's twenty seven and zero now, and he is the greatest light heavyweight of all time. Lightweight. Lightweight, sorry. He's, Lightweight. he's still got that, <laughs> that to conquer. Um, from Brett Okamoto here at ESPN, per Dana White, members of uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov's team have already been arrested. He says commission has froze main event paychecks for now, says they took special security measures, and this still happened. And I believe there was since an update on that that Conor McGregor um, has been paid um, his purse uh, oh, for, for tonight. So, yeah, obviously this is still a moving story. We'll uh, continue to update this. Sunday on the site because there's going to be uh, a lot of fallout as a result of uh, of tonight's. So, oh, look at this. So, apparently, here we have uh, the peace, the peace and love. Didn't the last. this the songs and dancing that Mark Romandi had reported on. I guess there there is a form of dancing. <laughs> well, capoeira. We'll, we'll take a look at this after. But anyway, it looks. So like, hold on, if Khabib has to. Let's say if he has to give a purse over to McGregor or some crazy thing like that. I think he'll have to just... Does McGregor, McGregor post a picture with him with his money? I, I, I don't think McGregor's going to be proud of anything about this. He's just going to be disappointed like he was disappointed in his other losses. So, and he's not going to get the money. If the money goes anywhere, it's going to the commission. commission. All right. Well, that was UFC 229. Quite the event uh, to discuss. Did we get your prediction on pay-per-view buys? Uh, no, but I don't want to make one. Oh, okay. But happy Thanksgiving to all the Canadians. Yes. To... Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. It was uh, quite the celebration on uh, on this particular weekend. I do have one more note. It's good to know that 
because Duke Rufus thought that Anthony Pettis couldn't perform at his maximum, that he thought CM Punk was performing <laughs> at his maximum. So, well, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta assess each fighter on a on a case by case basis. You know what? I, I was very happy that there didn't seem to be a whole lot of backlash to Duke Rufus stopping the fight. I thought people were going to be outraged by that, and it's something that I complain about all the time in MMA that fighters get sent into rounds that. You're not you're not looking at the longevity of a fighter. It's just Paddington uh, for, for a lot of reasons, and it's also structured in such a way that it's you know when you're talking about you're going to make a win bonus that's double your show money, you're taking money away from some of these fighters to not have them continue, as opposed to having just a flat purse like we had for the main event tonight. They had yeah. flat purses, but if you're a guy that makes sixty and sixty, and your coach is going to tell you, "I don't want you going into the third round," hey, sixty and sixty—that's on the high end too. That's a real conflict, though, yeah. for a coach to be able to make that decision and take a potential sixty thousand dollars because every fighter is going to think of Derek Lewis and that all I need is one shot and I can win this fight. And it's not just the fighter who's getting the 60-60 because the coach gets a percentage of the fighter's payout too. So there there is a conflict of interest there, um, whether they're looking out for themselves or looking out for the best interest of the fighter. It doesn't surprise me that there was no backlash. I don't ever recall there being backlash from a coach stopping... It, I think it was just people were probably disappointed because it was an exciting fight mm-hmm. and we wanted it to see come to a more uh, satisfying conclusion. Yeah, it's something that down the road, if Anthony Pettis gets some wins, like this is something you can easily do a rematch over that mm-hmm. I, I think people would be into. If, if Anthony Pettis is able to get some, some key wins, which I think he does need. Especially that since he was gaining steam at the end. Like uh, when we were talking about him earlier, like, I thought we saw kind of two versions of him. Like, the, the first version where he was just back up against the cage, but it looked like near the end of the fight he started to, to get back in. He was getting some shots back in. And, you know, uh, I was curious to see what the uh, the next round was going to be like, but uh, obviously they stopped it. So The next time we will be back, UFC 230 is taking place from Madison Square Garden. <laughs> um, you know, we talk about this fight breaking records, but... What is the drawing power going to be of Valentina Shevchenko and Ciara Eubanks Who? for the UFC flyweight title? Joe Rogan joining us here. Uh, Bob Eubanks is fighting <laughs> the UFC. My goodness. Wow. You know, beyond, beyond the main event, which is a, a very, very puzzling fight that the UFC has made that... I mean, it's very rare that the the mixed martial arts world can be so unanimous in their complaint about one specific issue. There is no uh, there is no devil's advocate uh, in this in this one, other than Ciara Eubanks, who of course is going to promote herself. But a very puzzling main event for Madison Square Garden. But Dustin Poirier, Nate Diaz, Luke Rockle, Chris Weidman in a rematch. Jacare taking on David Branch, Derek Brunson, Israel Adesanya. Um, there's some really good good yeah, fights on, on this yeah, card. It's a very good card. Yeah, super good card. Israel Adesanya has been spectacular, and, and that's a real firecracker of a fight. The Chris Weidman-Luke Rockhold fight should be pretty interesting. I'm not 
that excited to see a rematch because it was such a brutal fight the first time. But uh, I think I'm in the minority on this one. A lot of people have been asking for that for a while. And then the main event is a... Well, the real main event, <laughs> Dustin Poirier versus Nate Diaz, is a killer, killer fight. Yeah. Dustin Poirier's looked so great as of late. And Nate Diaz is just an amazing needle mover. So <laughs> I'm always... This is really going to put him to the test, though. <laughs> it like, is, yeah. Like, yeah this is, sure. Nate Diaz is the biggest star on this show, and he's not in the main event. But, I mean, if the, to me, if this card does anything above 300,000 buys, I think that's all attributed to Nate Diaz. Um, to, you- to a lesser degree, Weidman and Rockhold, but I think the, the there's going to be more promotional focus on... The Diaz Poirier fight than even Rockhold and Weidman. What happens if Eubanks wins? Then she wins. <laughs> I mean, it's like, whatever. I just look at it that all of your promotional material is going to be divided into promoting that fight yeah. that is adding nothing. There is, there is no business that that fight is adding to this. That fight headlining a pay per view that that is just your rank and file pay-per-view may maybe is doing 125,000 buys. Yeah. It's weird that like they would cancel a future fight with Joanna and Shevchenko, especially since they signed it and then pull it away just to add it to this. I w- I, I, uh, I feel like there must be some other machination going on here. Maybe there's another fight that they're going to announce. Maybe there's another fight for Toronto that they're going to announce. It just, like, they know that even even Valentina Shevchenko versus... Well, Tor- Toronto's when? December? December 8th. So Jones technically is available to fight. Possibly. That fight's being discussed for the, the year-end show. So, mm-hmm. Which I see Jones fighting in Vegas, not Toronto. That's true. But, um, as, as we were talking about before, the Toronto card, now that you've removed Shevchenko and Joanna, is... You're relying on Max Holloway being able to to headline this card, which I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. That fight, you, you can't guarantee that fight happening. There is nothing underneath it. You've got Claudia Gedelia and Nina Ansarov next in line on that. And Jimmy Manoa and Tiago Santos. Like, th- there's no way you can run this pay-per-view as is if you were to lose that fight during fight week. Even if you have that fight, has... I mean, certainly... I. I think Brian Ortega's only headlined one event in the UFC, and that was a fight night. The, the one with Cup Frank- Swanson? Was that a main or, event? Or was it the Frankie Edgar one? Anyway, right. uh, he, he doesn't. he's definitely never headlined a pay-per-view, and I'm not sold on Max Holloway's drawing power as a pay-per-view personality. So even if they put that fight together, it's not going to be a gangbusters event. Now, it might be at the box office because... Toronto is clamoring for an event, and Toronto has done really well uh, at the live gate. Um, it's going to do what a B level UFC pay per view is going to do. You're right; it's not. It's not going to be. A, but how many star or drawing power fighters do you see, uh, think that UFC really has? Though, right? Well, it's different degrees. Like we saw that at the the Cody Garbrandt versus TJ Dillashaw fight that drew three hundred thousand. That was beyond my expectations. That's not a massive number, but it's they also it's, sold out the Staples Center. Yeah, it, so it was a successful event. So. Whether that's Garbrandt, whether that's Dillashaw, whether that's the fight. Um, it was obviously Henry Cejudo. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, no, I, I think that was a perfect example of a fight that, you know, Bellator would try this by putting, you know, a Ken Shamrock or a Kimbo in the main event. And it's like, we'll load up the undercard and then they're going to get that exposure. But that never really played itself out. Whereas the Madison Square Garden last year, I think that, you know, George and Bisping was your main event. But I think a lot of people tuned in and they saw that Garbrandt Dillashaw feud. And I think they really benefited from being on a, a highly purchased card. Kind of like tonight's fight with Tony Ferguson. Like a lot of people saw Tony Ferguson tonight that maybe had never seen him fight before and were only tuning in for the main event. So sometimes you, you can see that trickle-down effect. That is going to be it. We're going to wrap it up now. I want to thank you guys, as always, uh, for joining me to chat. It's way more entertaining than me talking to myself for an hour. Uh, so this is where I usually ask people if they if they have anything to plug. Ziggy? Uh, you can follow me at the underscore fat man on Twitter. And Phil, your home number is... <laughs> uh, I'm moving soon, so... Uh, Are you moving? I am moving, yes. Oh, this is yes. breaking news. This is oh. breaking news, yeah. yeah. Far or close? I Technically closer, because I live, uh, I live about 45 minutes north, and I'm moving another seven more minutes south. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Neighbor! <laughs> well, Phil, you're always welcome here. Uh, that's going to be it. Way and I will be back on Monday night. Uh, we are off for Thanksgiving, but we will be back Monday. We, we are going to have a show for our cafe members right after the King of Pro Wrestling show that New Japan is putting on. And then Monday night, free show with Rewind a Raw. So for Ziggy, Phil, I am John. Thank you for listening to our UFC 229 post show.